Hello, I'm Stephanie, and this is Real Housewives of Neopia. Together, we're going to re-explore some dark depths of pop culture, most of which you've willfully forgotten. Just a heads up that I'm going to continue linking Black Lives Matter resources at the top of my episode description indefinitely. That being said, I might not have a verbal disclaimer every episode anymore, but they will always be there for those who want them. So how is everyone's week? I am currently two weeks strong on my dairy-free and gluten-free-ish journey. I've still been using soy sauce and cooking, but I've ultimately felt significantly better. These, like, huge results have elicited the shocked Pikachu meme within, even though I knew this was a necessary evil that I just put off for years and years and years. It also would not be me if I didn't hit you with a long-form snack monologue, so let's chat about my favorite new snacks as of this week. Firstly, I had a vegan horchata ice cream with a 60% cacao dark chocolate shell that really awakened something in me. That dessert, along with the friendly cat and the frumpled King Charles Cavalier I met on my way to the ice cream shop, added several years to my life. I also took a chance on love at Whole Foods. By love, I'm actually referring to the lesser evil brand Grapefruit Popcorn. It seemed evil and intriguing, which is not dissimilar to myself, and seeing the display has haunted me for days. I was attempting to research reviews and there were zero, literally zero, outside of SpawnCon so I was convinced she was a psyop of sorts. One of my followers eventually sung its praises when I solicited advice from the masses, so I took the plunge. I'm absolutely delighted to report that it's delicious. It essentially tastes like a kettle corn with a noticeable savoriness imparted by the Himalayan pink sea salt. The bite has a lovely grapefruit zest finish. 10 out of 10 would recommend. It's limited edition for the summer, so I'm considering buying out the stock at Whole Foods. Lastly, we stocked up on Trader Joe's jerk flavor plantain chips, which requires no further endorsement from me. They do all the talk simply by existing. I love them so much it's unreal. They're so good, and I could easily eat a truckload while the chemical renders one of my senses unusable. My life will always and forever revolve around the snacks I eat regardless of any dietary restrictions. Besides that roller coaster, my week hasn't been super exciting. It has been busy because my lease is up soon, so there's an endless amount of things to do leading up to it, but that's not that exciting. It's more just tedious. I'm going through all of my stuff, which to me is a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because I love reflecting on all of my cool stuff. Like, I feel a great sense of pride when I look at my Shot at Love Season 1 DVD, for example. But it's a curse because I hate being forced to throw certain things away and face reality. After about six or seven years, I threw away my favorite Britney Spears shirt, and I'm not thrilled about it. It's a navy blue men's t-shirt. I mean, I know t-shirts aren't gendered, but whatever. 
with Brittany and Banana the Snake inside a cross, which has been accumulating wear and tear for quite a while, but I had a horrific hair appointment last summer that left the neckline ruined with bleach. R.I.P. in peace. On that subject, what's your guys' favorite Britney song? I have too many to count, but Bombastic Love, Unusual You, Hot As Ice, and Then We Kiss, Junkie XL Remix come to mind immediately. America, I want you to know that before I'm an American, I'm a Britney fan. (laughs) I also had to throw away my Hachachi magic wand, but that's just because it broke after an illustrious five-year-long tenure. Thank you for your service, Queen. Since orgasms are temporarily unavailable for me as a result, I've basically just been getting stoned and watching teen dramas. If you aren't aware, teen dramas are possibly my favorite genre besides reality TV. And yes, I am 27 years old. I like the best of the best, like early Degrassi and the OC. And I also love the worst of the worst, like late Degrassi and Secret Life of the American Teenager. Pluto TV has a 24-hour Degrassi channel that loops through all 14 seasons of The Next Generation, and that's typically what I have on my TV in the background almost all the time. Let the record show that I cannot stand Drake and his beta male misogynist predatory ass, but I still teared up and literally got chills when he dropped the Degrassi-themed video for I'm Upset. So Degrassi is a constant fixture in my life, but I decided to embark on a Secret Life of the American Teenager rewatch for my husband's benefit. He loves bad B-movies and exposes me to that world, so I return the favor by exposing him to horrible teen dramas and reality shows. Despite Secret Life running for five seasons, I truly do not know anyone who was like a Secret Life head. Everyone involved, both behind the cameras and in front of the cameras, come across as people who have never seen a television show or have never met a teenager, but have had the concepts of both of those things explained to them. It's a Christian teen drama that's supposed to be secular in theory, but all the teenagers are obsessed with getting married and talk about having sex nonstop. And they use those words. They're always talking about having sex. They don't say like hooking up or sleeping together. It's always debating whether or not should we be having sex. The creator is Brenda Hampson from Seventh Heaven, so that should explain enough. I would describe it as an extended after-school special, but much wilder. It also weirdly has the most insane casting department because there are three different Sopranos actors in it. This was especially wild because I started watching it initially after a Sopranos binge. Thanks to Brenda Hampton, I wouldn't have to miss Bobby, Uncle Junior, or Christopher for too long. To me, Secret Life is a camp masterpiece. The following clip has questionable quality because someone on YouTube was simply recording their TV and shuffling around nonstop in the process but the following is the best possible endorsement I can come up with for you to watch Secret Life. There is a reason it didn't just happen. It's not a mystery. 
I had sex and now dad is dead. And he had a horrible death because I had incredible sex. Before I move on to the weekly roommate horror story, I do want to let you know that I finished True Tory Season 2. I covered Season 1 on an earlier episode, but the quality is horrific and I don't stand by it, so honestly, just watch the show instead of listening to me talk about it. But Season 2 shook me to my core even more than the first one did. If you missed the first True Tory episode, it is a docu-series about Tory Spelling and Dean McDermott's extremely toxic and dark-sided marriage. Season 2 got more into Tory's hoarding, her breast implants that have been both expired and recalled for over a decade, and her really transparent and sad attempts at deflecting conflict. This is really upsetting, so I'm sorry in advance but she gets into a fight with Dean while away on vacation. They're fighting because Dean, secretly without telling Tori, is having his female friend watch their children, which Tori previously stated she was uncomfortable with off the heels of his cheating scandal, which I believe was yes, less than a year ago at that point. Instead of facing their problems and reality as a whole, She takes a five-day-old baby pig from a slaughterhouse and brings it home as a means of a fun distraction. Feel free to drag me if I'm wrong because I just did a cursory Google search, but from what I understand, pigs need to be with their mothers for eight weeks, kind of like puppies. So I won't say it, but I'm sure you can guess the fate of that beautiful little pig within a day or two of being snatched up by Tori's real thin little arms. As I told you before, both seasons of Tori are available on Tubi for free. I can't recommend it enough, but I also can't stress enough that it is not a light, easy breezy watch. Only watch it if you're down to get darked out. While we're talking about people who are deeply disconnected from reality to the detriment of everyone around them, let me introduce you to a new character for this week's Ghost of Roommates Past. Out of all the characters I've discussed thus far, this young lady might be the biggest doozy of them all. Her exit from our home was perhaps the most unbelievable and truly sounds made up, but I need to build up the background info before we plunge into that another day. We will call her Giovanni. All my pseudonyms are chosen very deliberately, and I wish I could tell you guys why, but unfortunately that defeats the purpose. So after Sunday and Svetlana left, Giovanni filled their spot. One of my other roommates found her, but we did meet her before she moved in. Based on first impressions, I thought she was whatever, if not kind of annoying. That was irrelevant to me because I am truly not here to make friends. Granted, I've become great friends with my roommate, Allie, and I'm friendly with our other current roommate, But I've never been one of those people who wants to have our living room be like Central Perk or whatever. My roommates are definitely friendlier and more outgoing than I am, but they also value boundaries and are not interested in a sitcom group dynamic. All of us made this clear whenever we sought new roommates because some people do really yearn for that. 
that's fine, but they wouldn't be a good fit for us. And moreover, we wouldn't be a good fit for them. So Giovanni initially seemed like a good fit to my roommate who found her because she treated their meeting as a job interview and like really put it on. I was unaware of this part, otherwise I would have said something, but apparently Giovanni told my roommate she had a bachelor's degree in massage therapy, which is not a thing. She also said she was a full-time flight attendant, but we found out way down the line that was also a lie and she didn't work during the entirety of her time living here. After they met, Giovanni was insistent on hanging out with the rest of the roommates. To clarify, she didn't simply want to meet us, but rather have a full-blown hangout sesh. I found this weird, but I'm also kind of a bitch and don't leave my house. We really needed someone to fill our empty room because none of us could afford to cover that portion of rent, We would if it was possible, but I knew that I had to do it. Admittedly, I curved her several times because I really didn't want to hang out with a random stranger, especially one who seemed so forward. I succumbed, and I was like, I guess I'll smoke weed and eat pizza with Giovanni if it meant we wouldn't be out like $750 or whatever it was. Like I said, the hangout was whatever, and I didn't find anything about her actively offensive. I just simply found her annoying and not my cup of tea, which is totally fine and not a deal breaker. This is not America's next top best friend, so that's fine. She didn't do or say anything flagrant. Her personality was just more blah than I personally gravitate toward. I do want to add that Erin and I made two pizzas, both of which were delicious, and she took the last slice without asking. Our other roommate that hung out with her also told us that she scooped a huge bowl of ice cream for Giovanni, per Giovanni's own request, and watched as Giovanni let it melt and play with the soup it turned into with her spoon. We should have taken that as foreshadowing. A few days later, when at that point she had met all of us individually and hung out with all of us individually, Giovanni created a Facebook group chat with us and she utilized the poll feature. She sent a poll that asked if she will be our new roommate with yes and no options. I personally found this to be unhinged behavior. All of us separately discussed the matter, with all of us agreeing that it was a weird maneuver and we're trying to assess if it was a huge sign of things to come. We eventually decided it wasn't a deal breaker, so Giovanni moved in. It quickly became clear that her boundaries were non-existent as she'd constantly just talk at our doors or knock on them at all hours. She did this more with my other roommates because they're nicer than me. But when I say things like that, I don't want it to come off like I'm flexing as if I'm this super cunt villain, because that's not the case. Trust me, I kind of wish it was. My manners are superb. I've always been complimented on my politeness. Like I described in the Marissa scenario, I do not and will not indulge acquaintances in the artifice of friendship and full-blown discussions if I don't want to. There are two exceptions— One, being if I'm getting paid, and two, being if someone clearly needs some extra kindness in that moment. So when it came to Giovanni, I'd obviously chat with her in the kitchen and whatever and be nice and have 
pleasant small talk, but I knew that our one time hanging out would be the only time and I'm not going to act otherwise. My roommates are both more inclined to see the good in people and befriend them, so they hung out with her a little bit. Both of them separately saw red flags, but again, they're simply just sweeter than me and aren't as quick to, like, stiff arm someone. And I'm not saying that as an indictment against them. We're just, our personalities are different in that way. Giovanni was always home. As I said, she wasn't actually working, but she was lying to us about it. She, again, came from money, no surprise. So, just like our old friends, Sunday and Riley, she was in the living room 24-7. If I didn't make it clear before, the issue is not using common spaces, because everyone who lives here is entitled to do so. But the problem is monopolizing them as if it's your own studio apartment. She was in there nonstop playing Minecraft and making huge, crazy messes. This would be bad enough, but she'd also lie blatantly about things. Like, once she left a pot of mac and cheese uncovered on our stove for eight hours, but when she was asked to refrain from that in the future, she was just like, no, I didn't. If I recall correctly, she would even do things in front of us and then just be like, I didn't do that. I recall a particular instance I was told about when Giovanni wiped a bunch of crumbs and food from the counter onto the floor without sweeping while talking to our roommate. And when our roommate was like, hey, could you not do that like for cleanliness and also because the cat might eat something and get sick? And Giovanni, who just did this directly in front of her, was just like, I didn't do that. This was a constant pattern. She would also shamelessly hit on my husband, who was simply my boyfriend of four years at the time, whenever I wasn't around. My roommates witnessed it and said they cringed so hard, but I didn't really care because he and I would just constantly be whispering and giggling about her amongst ourselves privately. Overall, she was just very messy, both literally and figuratively, obtrusive in every sense of the word, and a proven compulsive liar. The following story is the essence of Giovanni in the most lighthearted possible form. As I alluded to earlier, things get really dark down the line, and I'll surely tell you all about it. So as usual, I was stoned watching TV in bed at like 1.30 a.m. when I heard like a creepy woman singing outside. I can't really see my backyard from my window, but that's where the sound was coming from. I texted Allie to ask if she could hear too, which she did, and we were freaking out because some woman was singing a scary song seemingly right by our back door in the middle of the night. Allie was still trying to be friends with Giovanni at that point, but I was like, Giovanni loves to sing, could it be her? And she didn't think so. But lo and behold, guess who it was? Unsurprisingly, she wasn't particularly apologetic, and she said she purposely walked far away from the house into the street to not disturb anyone. But that wasn't the case, and she was confirmed to be just in our yard by the back door. I know your first meeting with Giovanni has been a little all over the place, and it's likely raised more questions than answers, but I promise the answers you're seeking are coming. 
She actually only lived with us for under two months, but it was more chaotic than any of the roommates I've ever had combined, particularly how it ended. So just keep her in mind. I assure you we will revisit Giovanni again. I would like to move on to my main subject now, but we're keeping on theme by focusing on terrifying people who exist outside of a normal person's reality. Let's talk about 2017's e-channel one-season wonder, What Happens at the Abbey. I've only met two people who have watched this show of their own volition, and I happen to be one of them. It is a direct copycat of Vanderpump Rules, which will likely end soon, so I strongly suggest you indulge in What Happens at the Abbey instead of lining Jason Couchy's pockets. Side note, how the fuck has he not been fired yet? I know that the show will likely just get cancelled, but Jax literally needs the Midsommar bear suit treatment, except broadcast on Watch What Happens Live. Anyhow, the Abbey is a famous gay bar that's literally two or three doors down from sexy, unique restaurant herself. Like VPR, What Happens at the Abbey focuses on the attractive adjacent and beastly employees therein. I should half retract the attractive adjacent part, because all the girls are gorgeous, but you can make up your own mind on the men. To me, they're scary with one notable exception. The show itself is super overly produced in that traditional e-channel style, so it isn't lightning in a bottle like the feral pack of models-slash-actors with untreated personality disorders found in early VPR. Even though it does have that overly produced feel, it kind of works for the show. The cast are also similarly desperate and freakish to the Pump Rules kids for the most part, which is not manufactured. As a bonus, there's actually gay and black people on the show featured as prominently as their straight white counterparts, which is a very low standard, but that hasn't even been met by VPR in eight years, so there's that. This show also has a habit of featuring the exact type of celebrities I care about, like Tori Spelling and Heidi Montag. David Cooley is the owner of the Abbey, so he'd be the LVP, so to speak, but he is barely featured, and that's what I want from LVP. His assistant Brandon is peripherally in the mix, but not too much. This is pretty much a campaign to get you all to watch this fucking show and highlight what it has over VPR, so I'm going to loosely go through the main cast storylines. The show was only seven episodes, so it goes down super easily, in my opinion. The cast is huge, like season eight of VPR, but I think this show demonstrates how to do that right. Everyone has something going on, and the people who don't have much to offer are sidelined as basically plot devices. I want to start with my favorite storyline that's sincerely heartwarming, which isn't usually what I look for in reality shows, but I was deeply invested in this. Brandy and Lawrence, who are a lesbian and gay man respectively, are having a baby together. I do want to note that Lawrence was my one exception when I called all the men scary. He and Brandy seem much more normal than the rest of the cast, And, like, they're always flabbergasted by what's unfolding around them, but they aren't boring. They're both super likable and watchable. On the show, they're going through their impregnation, fertilization journey, 
but they have since had their baby and they seem to be so happy co-parenting him together. We love to see it. Murray and Corey are boyfriends, but they may as well be fraternal twins. They aren't actually related, but they may as well be because they look exactly alike. Their relationship is super toxic and plagued with alcohol and extreme jealousy. Since they look so much alike, it's actually difficult for me to tell them apart, but their scenes are usually huge fights with Corey slash Murray calling Corey slash Murray a chicken-legged bitch. Corey slash Murray also called Corey slash Murray WeHo's most popular glory hole, for example. They don't get a ton of airtime, but just enough. I like watching their drama and seeing what's going on with them, but it would be oppressive to be inundated with nonstop scenes of them screaming at one another. So another win for the Abbey, understanding what the people want. Hetero Hell is still alive and well at the Abbey, despite the venue's progressive origins. We have Marissa, a Long Island girl who looks like the perfect combination of early season Sheena Shea and Mindy from Rock of Love. Tell me I'm wrong, you can't. Her whole vibe is also, I'm the new girl at Sir and I just want to fit in. She did out herself as a Tory Spelling stan at one point, which somewhat endeared me to her. Kyle is a piece of shit bartender who is pursuing Marissa. He is repugnant, but brings some early season Jack's flair to the table. He actively calls his female co-workers sluts in his confessionals and is just unrepentantly misogynistic. For example, he said whenever he gets a girl's number at work, he saves her name as the pizza emoji because in his words, you know, it's pizza, it's not that great, but you can have it at your house in 20 minutes. So that's what we're dealing with. Similar to Jax as well, he excels at stirring the pot by spreading rumors of varying degrees of truthfulness. We see a little more of them than perhaps I would like to, but thankfully that romance doesn't monopolize the show, which I'm super thankful for. Katie and Schwartz, Bo and Stassi, and Jackson and Brittany would like a, war- a word. Moving along to something much more engaging and entertaining, let's talk about Elizabeth and Kim. Firstly, I have to come clean. I use Elizabeth's photos on my fake Facebook. I don't use it to catfish people or interact with anyone whatsoever, but I personally don't want a Facebook like for myself, for Stephanie, but I still want Facebook privileges if I want to do evil research, but I want to make it look legit. So I have like friends. I just, I add random people and I just, I hit a gold mine. And I think the Dominican Republic when a bunch of mutual friends of the people who I was adding just flooded me with requests. So now I have over a hundred friends, but I don't interact with anyone on there. I just need it to look legit if I need to friend someone else to, circumvent their privacy settings. I can't give you my fake Facebook name even though I desperately want to because it's really good, but I'm not going to give myself away. Anyways, Elizabeth is a stunning lesbian who's best friends with Kim. Kim is stunning as well, but she is theoretically straight. They start a promising flirtationship that ultimately becomes an emotional roller coaster. 
This results in Elizabeth tearfully stating that Kim doesn't have to lick her vagina, but to not question her character. So those are the notable main storylines, but remaining on the cast, we have Chelsea, Billy, Ashley, and Daniel. Chelsea is a management trainee with a very dark, stormy, doty-like energy. She brought Ashley into the mix. Ashley is one of those plot device characters I mentioned, but is a source of jealousy and rage for Chelsea. The same thing goes for Billy and Daniel as far as being plot devices go, but they're also both romantic interest of Ashley at separate points. Billy is basically just like a lobotomized bodybuilder. I don't think that I have a huge like cross-section with Ellen DeGeneres fans, but apparently he was the gardener on the Ellen show. So if that means anything to you, that's who it is. Daniel is the bane of my existence, and he is just poorly cosplaying Seth Cohen throughout all seven episodes. As I said, these characters are sort of sidelined in favor of more interesting people and stories, but we do get to know everyone. So, if you're a Vanderpump Rules fan or you have been at any point in time, please give this stunning knockoff a try. I'd say it's tied with my $9 Christian Dior baseball hat as my favorite knockoff of all time. I'm in the U.S. and I watched via my Bravo app, which houses a bunch of NBC Universal content, including the E! channel, which the show was on. I believe it's also available on Hey You for you international queens. If you do watch it, I'm begging that you message me to talk about it. Me and my one other friend are the only people I know who have watched it of our own choosing, but I have forced people who come over my house to give it a shot because that's what I do. I really wish they got a second season because it's just so stupid and so fun. I'm going to leave now to give you ample opportunity to stream What Happens at the Abbey immediately. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I hope that you kind of liked it. And an extra special thank you to my monthly supporters. If you'd like to support Real Housewives of Neopia for as low as 99 cents monthly, there is a link to do so at the bottom of my episode description. But that, of course, is optional. Just please keep listening, living, laughing, and loving. As for me, I'm on Instagram at Botox Groupon, B-O-T-O-X-G-R-O-U-P-O-N, and the pod is at Real Housewives of Neopia. I hope you all have a sexy, unique week, and I can't wait to chat soon. Love you guys. Bye. The first time too many teens have the sex talk with their parents is when they're telling them that they're pregnant. Parents, if your teens have a question about sex, don't assume they're doing it. And teens, if your parents aren't talking to you about sex, don't assume they don't care. Teenage pregnancy is 100% preventable. Start talking. For more information, please visit stayteen.org or abcfamily.com.